Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The basketball season is back, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is October 20th. I hope y'all are having an amazing day, but not as an amazing day as Los Angeles Dodgers fans are having here today, because, oh my goodness, the most fun we've had during October baseball happened to come on a day we were already planning to dedicate entirely to Major League Baseball and a little bit of the NFL and a little bit of college football with our gambling expert Razor Rosenthal of Beer Life Sports. Uh, You can check out Razor's work with the link in the description to today's episode, including being our gambling correspondent during the NFL and college basketball seasons. Love Razor so much, and I am so appreciative of all the time that he gives to this podcast. We will get to that in a second and Razor nailing his parlay bet for the night. But we need to play that music. I'm tempted to play the full song, but for now, let's just play the short version because I want to talk about this game. I would like to be the first to officially welcome Atlanta sports to another decade of misery. You guys have been through a lot. I don't want to rub it in here, but just a few notable moments. We can go all the way back to winning one championship with 15 consecutive division titles, but let's start with the recent history. Kicking it off with the Atlanta Falcons 28 to 3 loss. So you follow that up with the Georgia Bulldogs losing in the National Championship where Tua subs in for Jalen Hurts and you're up 14 in the second half. The Atlanta Braves 
blowing a 2-1 lead against the St. Louis Cardinals in 2019. Georgia Bulldogs in 2019, blowing a 21-point lead where Tua gets hurt and Jalen Hurts comes in and leads them to a win. All the Falcons' blown leads, whether it's the Cowboys game or Todd Gurley scoring a touchdown or missed field goals or Hail Marys, all the ways that the Falcons find ways to lose impossibly crazy games, all the way on down to the Atlanta Hawks. It's been a brutal run, brutal run for Atlanta sports. And then last year, the Braves are up 3-1 on the Dodgers. They've got Acuna. They've got MVP Freddie Freeman before Marcelo Zuna gets arrested and you blew the 3-1 lead against the Dodgers. And this year, you guys looked like the season was in jeopardy and you traded for Eddie Rosario and you traded for Duvall from the Marlins and you rebuilt your terrible lineup to make it just good enough to get by and your pitching staff had been amazing so far and you're up 2-0 on the Dodgers and Gavin Lux boots a ball in the outfield and you're up 5-2, about to go up three games to zero on the Los Angeles Dodgers insurmountable only except for the greatest moment in the history of baseball when the Boston Red Sox came back from down 3-0, which quite frankly, I'm surprised there haven't been more 3-0 comebacks in the history of baseball. I think it's only happened four times in hockey, and hockey's just as random as the MLB, but hockey also plays twice as many playoff series every year because they admit twice as many teams into the playoffs. But still, 3-0 comeback, dead in the water, series over. You've outmatched this team even though you were 17 games worse than the Dodgers in the regular season. You're up 5-2 in the 8th, and it all falls apart. Cody Bellinger hits a 3-run homer above his neck. The pitch was above his neck, and he drove it out of the ballpark because, of course... Cody Bellinger hit that ball out of the ballpark in true break-your-heart fashion. That only ties the game in the eighth inning. Then you have even more chaos moment because then they give up another hit. Then you switch pitchers. Then Mookie Betts comes up, and then Mookie Betts breaks your heart because that's what Mookie Betts does. He did it to the Rays in the World Series last year. He did it to the Padres in 2020, my beloved San Diego Padres, and Cody Bellinger robbed a home run to put the seal on all of that. Like, this is how heartbreak happens at the hands of the Dodgers. For five to six years, we've done multiple podcasts on this, the Dodgers were the heartbreak team. 2014, favored against the Cardinals, lose. 2015, favored against the Mets, lose. 2016, favored against the Cubs, well, not favored against the Cubs, but still lose to the Cubs in the NLCS. 17, make the World Series, lose to the Astros, even though you went to seven games. 2018, make the World Series, lose to Boston. Probably we're supposed to lose, but we're still a really freaking good team. 2019, best team in baseball, lose to Washington in the playoffs. The Dodgers are the team that always gets swallowed by the playoff gauntlet. They got the World Championship last year. It took coming back from down 3-1 against the Braves to do it, but they finally survived the playoff gauntlet. And... That was maybe the best of the Dodgers teams except for 2017 when they lost to the Astros who may or may not have cheated to get that extra edge over Clayton Kershaw. All of that to say, the Dodgers know the playoff gauntlet better than anyone else. 
The Braves are pretty close, but the Dodgers know it like the back of their hand, and heartbreak comes every damn year. And now they again deliver the heartbreak, because no matter how cursed the Dodgers may be, despite how good they've been in the regular season, eight straight division titles until this year, and losing Max Muncie and losing Clayton Kershaw is a huge injury that makes it easier to hold the Dodgers to two runs, four runs, two runs. And yet, at the very end, the Dodgers come through 95.8% chance that the Atlanta Braves win that game, according to someone who ran the numbers on it. I don't know what the algorithm is, but I'm staring at it right now. So shout out to whoever ran the numbers on this. 95.8% chance the Braves go up 3-0, and it all comes crashing down in what was, without question, the most fun baseball game of the playoffs so far. And then you had Kenley Jansen close it out, and that just felt right. As much as I've hated the Dodgers for years, it just feels right to see Kenley Jansen closing out a game in the playoffs for the Dodgers to break the hearts of Braves fans everywhere. It is not quite the Brave New World or Braves New World that we come to put on our podcast titles or come to think of. By the way, everyone should read Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, fantastic book. If you didn't read it in high school, which I didn't, you should pick it up now. I read it about a year ago. It's a great book, one of those classic reads. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. And if Atlanta does end up falling apart in this series, like our buddy Razor projects, what a brutal way to go out. Just brutal to watch it play out the way that it did. So I'm not going to get any more into this game. We'll talk about it more with Razor. We'll talk about the Astros and Red Sox series a little bit. Even though we recorded before the game finished, we still got a magical Braves-Dodgers game in the making. And Astros-Dodgers, I mean, Astros-Red Sox is still totally relevant, despite obviously now knowing the result of Game 4. Everything my man Razor said that 90% of what my man Razor said still is super relevant towards this Red Sox and Astros series. So without further ado, let's roll along to our baseball-centric Wednesday podcast. There is a lot of chaos going on in the world of sports because it's October and October's crazy like that. Well, if you live in the dirty South, you'll call it Jocktober after game one. I'll tell you that. What? But yeah, I mean, a lot of chaos. There is. It's a great time of the year. Yeah, you bled right into my first question, which is just Atlanta Braves. What the hell is going on? And by the way, for people listening, we're recording this before game three of the Dodgers Braves game. So the Dodgers may have won by 10 runs or the Braves may be one game away from the World Series. So what the hell is going on with the Braves? Uh, I'll tell you that game two questionable managing by Dave Roberts uh, with his pitching decisions. 
I I don't know what to say. This is a shocking, shocking series right now. I would have thought Atlanta was going to grab one out of two. Um, probably game one. I would have expected them to win. And then, of course, Max Scherzer giving up the bomb. Uh, I just I, – I, I think L.A. is fine. Today, this is a no-brainer. I don't sound like a genius, but it's a must-win. I think uh, Walker Bueller is the play today at minus 170. A little risky, but L.A. is going to have to start to hit. Uh, they are not hitting the ball. They are, they're not scoring enough runs to be dominant in this series so far, and it all starts at Chavez Ravine, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Dodgers are going to win, Kyle, but I'm a little scared. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little scared of these Atlanta Braves. You know, I had said coming into the series that the path to winning for the Atlanta Braves was going to be through the pitching staff because – you know, the Giants and the Rays, who are obviously both gone now, but they were the number one seeds. The The reason, like, they had these magical seasons that we couldn't understand is, like, as simple as it was really hard to get three consecutive outs in those lineups. Because from one to eight, it was really hard to record. It. And the Dodgers are not like that. The Dodgers are super sporadic, super top-heavy, really missing Max Muncie like that are making things more it's making it more complicated for the Dodgers path to win I think Mookie has been super sporadic so far I know he had the four for four in the winner go home game but even still it's you can find three outs in that Dodgers lineup and and if that's the case and your pitching staff is on which Braves sneaky good pitching staff should we say with those three starters of Morton and Freed and Ian Anderson so far I I feel like it's been pretty good and everything they've been hoping for it feels like they've been following a formula to try and win and it's worked out so far so far yeah this is a big game obviously I expect them I expect the bats to light up and I would hope that Dave Roberts makes better decisions when it comes to taking pitchers out and putting pitchers in at the wrong times. And I think we can blame Davey Roberts for game two. Okay. I mean, it, it's been an interesting ride in terms of managerial decisions, especially, you know, our buddy over there in uh, New York, Aaron Boone got to keep his job when Yankees fans were ready to run him out of town. But I, it felt like game one and game two were like mirror images of each other, where it just came down to the end. And it's a game that we've seen the Dodgers win a, a dozen times, and if the Dodgers are playing at home, maybe they do win it, even though they were on the road, even though they won 18 more games than the Braves this year. And it's all been so strange, and I don't understand any of it. But also, Atlanta has kind of found just enough offense. You mentioned Jocktober a second ago, and him and Kike have kind of been those playoff heroes that no one expects that just come out of nowhere and dominate. But even still, I feel like the Braves have done just enough to get by offensively and have, as we talked about, been carried by that pitching staff a bit. Is going to be the major momentum shift that the Dodgers need. And I think they have the ability to win four in a row. But Walker, a lot of pressure on Bueller today. I mean, it's all on Walker Bueller. If he pitches well, if they can get, by the way, they have to get six innings from Bueller. This is Kyle from the future. So, Walker Bueller did not make it. 
six innings. He went three and two-thirds. He gave up four runs, but not all of them were earned because Gavin Lux was playing in the outfield. He's a second baseman, but they have Trey Turner. They also have Corey Seager at shortstop, so he was playing in the outfield because they just wanted his bat, and the Dodgers are short on bats because all of a sudden Matt Beatty and Albert Pujols were pinch-hitting in the playoffs. And Anyways, was looking real rough there for a minute. Walker Buehler did not make it six innings, and yet in the chaos fashion of not just Dodgers playoff games, but also the Atlanta Braves choking because Atlanta sports are not allowed to have nice things, the Dodgers still ended up winning in the end. And so it was an unbelievable chaos game. It was fun, and Razor got to be right. Even if it wasn't exactly the way we thought it was going to be, the Dodgers still got the win. Back to the podcast. They cannot keep messing around with their bullpen starting in the fourth, starting in the fifth. These guys need to rest. And uh, Bueller's going to have to go six. He goes six, gives up zero to one runs. I think the Dodgers win tonight, and then I think it's game on, and we'll see L.A. I would love to see L.A. Boston personally. I think that's going to be exciting. Well, that brings us to our second question. We got Atlanta Braves, what the hell? Boston Red Sox, what the hell is happening right now? The whole lineup's hitting. That's what's happening. Um, You know, that's what it takes. I'm not that impressed with the staff. Staff's okay. Uh, We talked about this last week or two weeks ago. The Houston staff is very scary. They just don't have enough studs, and we are seeing that. Boston putting up nine runs in the last two games before the, uh, you know, through four. Uh, Houston has some major problems. I mean, they they are not going to – I mean, by the way, I mean, Zach Granke is going on the mound tonight. So you have experience there, but do you trust this guy against one of the hottest lineups that we've seen in the fall in years? Kyle, I just can't imagine feeling good about betting the Astros for tonight and for the series. I think it's game, set, match, tennis reference there. The Boston Red Sox. I mean, at this point, I just who's stopping these bats? It's just it, it's they, they are hitting so well, top to bottom, one through nine. Red Sox series price right now, I believe it's sixty, pretty good value there. I like the Dodgers at plus one sixty and the Red Sox at minus one sixty to win their series. You know, the reason I said that the Astros would go to the World Series coming into the year was that their biggest problem was that pitching staff, and in my mind, I'm like. It's not that bad. Like, everyone's talking about how rough it's been for the Astros pitching this year. And, you know, they don't have Cole. They don't have Verlander. Granke's a a shell of the player he once was. And I thought McCullers and Valdez and Urikidi would help out. And then McCullers is gone for the series. And I look up, I'm like, oh, that's why everyone thought the Astros pitching was a problem. But to answer your question of of what do the Astros do in this situation, it's – it's the old adage of you just counter with more offense. It's just if the if the Red Sox score eight, we're going to score 11. If the Red Sox score nine, we're going to score 12. That's kind of the, the idea the Astros are shooting for at this point. It's just we're going to have these crazy shootout type of games against the Boston Red Sox. Well, you better, you better live up to your side of the deal if you're going to uh, provide a shootout with the Red Sox. And that has not happened game two and three. I got to say something, Kyle. They're pretty lucky. They got some big clutch hits game one to survive that that game. I mean, that was scary for Houston, middle of the innings. But I don't know. I just don't see how you stop this lineup. Uh, I think what stops a lineup is an ace that can really break the confidence of the likes of uh, Rafael Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Kyle Schwarber. 
but they're sending Granky to the mound tonight. And I don't have a lot of confidence that Granky is going to break the confidence of the Boston Red Sox. So, um, but as of say two years ago, maybe you still had the confidence in Granky. So at least it's kind of there. Maybe, two, maybe he's got one more left in the tank. Two years ago, I was two years younger, 10 pounds lighter. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I don't think it matters. I, 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 I just don't think Granky has it anymore. Uh, I could be wrong. I, 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 and by the way, no bet for me on this game tonight. Um, as mentioned earlier, I, I am laying the big juice with Walker Bueller, but no play with this Boston-Houston game. I'm just going to probably bet the series here, take Boston with the juice on the series to you know to win this in seven. Excuse me, win the best of seven. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of confidence in Granky here. We're going to root for the Red Sox. Yeah, so you're feeling the Red Sox here. You're kind of up in the air on the NL series, but it feels like you're leaning towards the Dodgers to make a comeback here. <sighs> What if you had to look up and say, you know, say come Wednesday, it's 2-2 in the ALCS and it's 2-1 in the NLCS. At that point, do you feel better about the Dodgers or do you feel better about the Astros at that point? I feel better about the pitching staff of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I do. I, I think that they can bring the rotation to win three more consecutive games where Houston possibly pulls off a win tonight and who are you going to to wrap up the series to 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 close out two out of the next three games I, I don't have much confidence in any of these guys to do that and I'm not saying Boston has an amazing staff you know Chris Sale is oh you know gosh I mean we've seen we've seen what Chris Sale has provided Ivaldi's okay Rodriguez last night uh what a game um so I I, I don't think there's a huge dis- discrepancy but right now uh, the, the, just the Red Sox batting is just too much. It's too much to overcome for these very average uh, Houston pitchers. So I, to answer your question, I feel a lot more confident down two games to one versus 2-2 two, two, uh, with the Dodgers over the Astros. Does the Astros bullpen give you any pause? Because it might be their, you know, the best unit still left in the playoffs in terms of a bullpen arm. Is it? Does that give you any you know, support for Houston is that if they could just get through maybe five innings of a starting pitcher that they might end up being okay? Bullpen is stronger than Atlanta and Boston, but the Dodgers by far have the best bullpen. Um, very, That's very fair. poor decision-making, you know, in my opinion, with uh, taking Gratterall out. You know, I, I, I obviously, you know, Jansen is your guy to wrap this things up when you have a lead in the ninth. But it was tied in the eighth. Uh, Gratterall got, you know, 1K, I believe, and one huge out by a great play by Seager. I just, I just, you know, there must have been a matchup that Davey Roberts saw, but you have a great setup guy. He was hot. Let's keep him in. Let's go to the, let's go to the, uh, let's go to the uh, top of the 10th and see what happens. But no, I, th- I think Houston's bullpen is, 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 is more efficient than Boston, but not enough to get me excited to say I feel really good about Houston to win this series. Okay. Gratterall's going to end up being the closer for the Dodgers after Jansen's gone. And I don't know if Jansen's going to come back after this year. I think he's a free agent after this season. But Gratterall's going to be the guy who's, like, <laughs> breaking my heart as a Padres fan for the next decade because that dude throws it, like, 102 miles an hour. Triple-digit pitches coming in and you take him out. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it, Kyle. But, you know, that's why – he makes millions of dollars as a manager, and I don't. But I, there's a reason for it, and I have no explanation what I saw 
uh, two nights ago. I mean, even still, the Dodgers were, if they don't win the World Series last year, I think this is like a Budenholzer situation in the NBA where they would have fired Dave, uh, Dave Martinez just, I was going to call him Davey Martinez, Dave Roberts, um, because of the Nationals guy who should have been fired after winning the World Series. But uh, they, they were just going to fire Dave Roberts for underperformance, not that he was doing anything wrong. It was just that they hadn't made it through the gauntlet up until, you know, obviously last year, and he gets that job security back. But even I don't know if we if even Dodgers fans are super in love with Dave Roberts right now. I, I don't know. I, 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 I obviously can't fire the guy. He's in the NLCS for what the 40th time in a row, it seems like, uh, and the World Series champions of last year. So, no, I mean, his job is safe, but just a lot of questionable pitching moves by him over the last few years. And I think uh, two nights ago was one of his biggest blunders. Mm-hmm. I get that for sure. Uh, moving over to football. I'm I'm just going to defer to you on what intrigues you around football at this time of year, because I think you and I both really love playoff baseball here and football's into bye weeks. This is a re- I think college game day is at like UCLA this week and, and there's not any top 25 matchups coming up this week. So what interests you around football going into this week? Kyle, college football is lame right now. Um, I'm not, and you just alluded to the fact that you know UCLA is a, is, a, is where game day is located. I think the ABC showdown game with Herb Street and Fowler is going to be in Bloomington, Indiana, when the Hoosiers host the Buckeyes. So we're really reaching for something here. Um, nothing intrigues me right now about college football. I think that Alabama will recover. I think they will win every game out until they get to Atlanta to face Georgia. That's going to be, you know, that's probably the most intriguing thing that we have on the menu. And we're going to have to wait till December 10th or so to see that. Um, yeah. Shifting gears to the NFL. I've, I've been wrong about my bills. Um, you know, I made it very clear to your podcast listeners that the bills would lose to Kansas city. And, uh, I could not have been more wrong. But yet we see them last night, and, I mean, that to me was – I was wrong there too. I thought Buffalo would go in there, find a way to stop the run, make Tannehill make big plays, and they failed to do that on all accounts. Uh, You know, know, there shouldn't be too much controversy with what transpired on the last play, in my opinion. I'll I'll be eager to hear what you have to say. I like like the play call. I do. I, I think a lot of things can go wrong with an RPO. Um, I know that's where Josh Allen thrives, where he's in a shotgun, has a chance to run if there's nothing open, has a chance to throw if there's something open. But if you can't get a half a yard, um, we're doing something wrong here. And that's just a – he slipped. You know, I think, I think it, was, it was just a mistake. It was a, unfortunate circumstances. If I had to do it all over again, if I had – the play call in my hand. I, I still consider QB sneak with how big of a body Allen is. It was a great game. Um, the Buffalo Bills are simply just cursed to the Music City. They haven't beat Tennessee there maybe ever. So uh, just, <laughs> ju- ju- just a football team that, that really knows how to break down Buffalo. And I think the biggest problem Buffalo has, and, and I talked about this with, about the Kansas City game, this is what I thought would happen at, K- at the Kansas City game where they just keep matching points, keep matching points. And the difference would be the run game where Buffalo uh, does not have a run game. And if you don't have a run game, you can eventually create – turnovers by you know dropping back guys in coverage like Tennessee had a huge interception 
um, you know, in the second half. And if you have no run threat, then you're also going to, you know, get your, get your uh, defense tired because your defense is just going to get, they're going to be off the field quickly with all these passes, whether you score right away or whether you go three and out with three incompletions, you're putting your defense in a bad spot with the best running back in football right now, which is Derrick Henry recipe for disaster. But at the end of the day, Hey, great game. Congratulations to Tennessee betters. Congratulations to Tennessee fans. Bill should have won on the money line, but I'll tell you Las Vegas books. And I say Las Vegas, I should say every book in America, whether it's a local bookmaker uh, in Delaware or the biggest casino in Vegas, they needed Tennessee because so many people were banking on a Buffalo Bills money line parlay to end the weekend. They may have had Green Bay, Kansas City, the Rams, or a teaser. And all of those teasers and money line parlays collapsed in Nashville, Tennessee last night. How stressful is it when you have a parlay and you have to wait until Monday for it to cash? Because I feel like that's like torture. You have to just wait. You're looking at it and you have to sit on it for like 24 hours or 28 hours just to see if something's going to cash. It's tough. But here's the deal, Kyle. And this is just advice here from someone who's been betting for a long time. If, if Buffalo was the final end of a very large unit parlay for you, simple math, guys. You take Tennessee against the spread. So you have a chance to middle that. You have some leverage. You're not going to suffer if the Bills lose straight up. If it's a small play for for your budget, I would just let it ride and just hope the Bills win. But if you're going heavy units, Buffalo's the tail end, fine. That's a big advantage to say, okay, here I am. I'm on the final leg of a parlay. I have 28 hours to put this together. I have seven units on this money line parlay. You have to lay about two, two and a half units on Tennessee against the spread or even Tennessee money line. Tennessee money line would have really cashed you in in a good spot. So uh, that's typically how it works. But you're right. It is tough. It's tough to wait that out. So you asked me off the bat what I thought about the uh, about the play call at yeah. the end of the game. And uh, I will say we have a, a running joke here on the, the podcast about uh, there's a club in football at this point. There's a growing club and it's called the punting is for cowards club. And these are the people who just love to go for it on fourth down all the time. When you have a chance, you're going to go for it. Why? Because if you kick a field goal, you're a coward. If you punt, you're a coward. Uh, this group now has Lane Kiffin and Brandon Staley and Frank Reich. And I think I'd like to welcome Brian Dayball to the club of being punting is for cowards. Because if I'm just doing like quick numbers in my head, this obviously isn't the algorithms that are run to determine what percentage chance you had. But if you kick a field goal, let's say you got a 50-50 shot of winning in overtime. And if you go for it on fourth down, let's say you have a 90% chance of getting the first down. Because again, this wasn't for a touchdown. He would have gotten a first down. It would have been first and goal with 20 seconds and a running clock. So that means you get two more plays probably after picking up the first down if you're Josh Allen. Uh, let me let so me let me just stop you right there. I, I think I think you get three plays with two timeouts, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, three yeah. plays. They would have called a timeout immediately after the sneak and they would have gotten three plays there. So let's say on each of those plays you have a I don't know, let's say an eighty percent chance of scoring a touchdown on each of those plays. So 80 plus 80 plus 80, that means 
you would have a pretty good chance of scoring there. So that means you'd have somewhere in the 81 to 82% chance range of scoring a touchdown on that. So in that case, I think they made the right move. And unfortunately, Josh Allen slipped or Josh Allen didn't get a good jump or whatever the situation was. And uh, I would have done that let's say seven times out of 10, I would have chosen to go for it on fourth down. Maybe if I'm feeling like we we don't need this game, maybe we can go for it and play the odds there. But sometimes game theory says you just got to get to the end no matter how quickly. So inevitably you're going to get to the end result. So there's no point in delaying it any longer. So I don't disagree with the call. I think he could have gone either way. I was just kind of surprised that they did it because I just assumed, oh, he's short, they'll go to overtime. But I I think looking back, probably I would have leaned that way, but I'm not going to be mad either way on that one. It's not like the LaFleur one in the NFC Championship where I'm just I'm upset and visibly angry at my TV for kicking a field goal. That one I think you can you can get away with it a little bit more. Uh, yeah, everything you said, I, I really 100% agree with you. Let's talk about two things here. One is the review, the non-review of Josh Allen's run on third down. Now, I think he was short. I think he was probably short. But do we have any indication that the booth looked at it? Because there was no indication based on the Monday Night Football crew that there's a timeout to look to see if his arm was extended to the pylon to reach a first down. Um, I'm a little confused by that. It seemed like there was no doubt that it was a fourth down from the refs on the field. And I don't know if they were buzzed as well. So that, that to me was fascinating. I figured that would be a lengthy review where we'd be sitting with our fingernails in our mouth, waiting to see if that would be a first down. I thought it was a first down initially. And then we look at it, yeah, it could have been, could have been short, but I would have liked to see, seen a lengthy review. Buffalo. Now, my second point is Buffalo didn't have to win this game, in my opinion, to clearly win the East and to probably put themselves in a position to still have the one seed. So I think Buffalo made the right decision. Kicking a field goal wouldn't have been catastrophically uh, poor, but we're not stopping Henry. When I say we, the Buffalo Bills, um, if we lose the coin toss, I think our percentage of winning is probably down to about 32%, right? Because I feel like they're going to score. I mean, there's probably about a 68% chance that they're going to go right down the field and score on this, you know, deflated defense. I mean, all you have to do is run Henry for first down, and then it's second and four, play action, and and Brown's going to be open. Someone's going to be open because you have all your linebackers inside the box waiting for a Henry run. And it's just one-on-one man coverage, and Brown's was just Brown in the fourth quarter was unstoppable. So you know, I think it was the right call. Um, I think people will debate he should have, you know, should have been the shotgun. I don't know. I like that call. A lot, a lot of things can go wrong in a shotgun formation, and uh, I, I'm I'm happy with the call. I like the testicular fortitude by the coaching staff of the Bills, and we and the Bills move on. They have a pretty easy schedule, Kyle. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to win about twelve or thirteen games this year. This was a boring witching hour this weekend watching the Red Zone, so I got my two most adrenaline-filled moments happen literally like within three minutes of each other, which was Kyle Schwarber hitting that grand slam on 3-0, which I was just not expecting at all, but as soon as he hit it, you just knew it was gone. And then immediately after that, being down 20 points in fantasy and having Derrick Henry break that 76-yard <laughs> touchdown run, 
And there, there are a few better feelings than when you need a big Derrick Henry game and you just see him breaking away in the secondary. It is fantastic. And I used to be rooting against those because last year I picked Michael Thomas over Derrick Henry in fantasy. But well, I didn't make the same mistake this year. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. In, in one of my leagues, uh, I was uh, plus 27 with Tyler Bass versus Tannehill and Henry. And, and, you know, it looked pretty good in the first quarter for me. You know, to find a way to, to win this this game, nope, not happening. After that run, it was over for me. There, three touchdowns for, what, a buck 24? Too much? Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing how good Derrick Henry is at football. I, I don't know this for sure, but I think he's a good 100 yards ahead of the next closest running back right now in the NFL. Second to none right now. Yeah, it's been an amazing run. Final question I have for you. Who's the number two team in college football, and why is it Jim Harbaugh? I think Michigan's really good. I, I, I think I think they play they play sound defense, and they have, they have a quarterback at McNamara. First time they've had a quarterback in a long time. Uh, the second best team in, in college football is Alabama. Um, I just don't see anybody beating them except the Bulldogs. That Texas A&M game was really surprising. And I think it was uh, really interesting. I heard this on the Visa Network that um, Nick Saban had a press conference two days before the A&M game and said, I've looked at film for every opponent that we have upcoming, and and we – will struggle to match up with this Aggies team. And, and you never know if he's serious or not, if he's just blowing smoke up everybody's you-know-what. But for some reason, the Aggies were super athletic last week in Columbia, Missouri, and they looked super athletic against Alabama. Um, where was this against Arkansas? Where was this against Mississippi State? It's amazing how these kids are so schizophrenic when it comes to you know week, week Saturday by Saturday in college football. But I think Alabama is, is kind of like a professional team. You know, maybe one slip up here and there every couple of years. And that was the one that we had in College Station. So Alabama's number two. They will eventually get to number two um, by year's end. Um, and I think they'll be a two or three seed. Michigan, I'd like to see Michigan find a way to the playoffs. You mentioned Michigan. I, I, I mean, I don't know where the game is uh, versus Ohio State, but you know, Jim Harbaugh is always good for one big mistake where, you know, a game at Minnesota, a game, you know, at Illinois. It's just like something always goes wrong for this guy besides Ohio State. But um, I think Michigan's good. I think we'll, we'll see them progress and, and be in a good spot, hopefully undefeated when they play Ohio State. And they have a gauntlet of, this, of a schedule to get to Ohio State. They have to play, I think, at Penn State, Michigan State, they play Wisconsin, I think, later in the season. They, it, it's rough to get there because the Big Ten has like five top ten teams right now, and all of them are going to start beating each other up pretty quickly here. So Yeah, I mean, uh, Mich Michigan's good. Michigan did already play Wisconsin. They beat them up pretty good in Madison. But I agree, Michigan State and Penn State are no easy tasks. Those are going to be really, I hate to say it, but exciting Big Ten games. But you're right, these Big Ten and Iowa, big disappointment. But – the Big Ten has some viable candidates to get to the playoffs, but at the end of the day, Ohio State's going. You know, whether you like them or not, that Oregon loss, not a great loss, but they're going. They're going to playoffs.
I also love that now that Iowa did lose to Purdue, there's about four Big Ten West teams that control their own destiny for the rest of the season, including Minnesota, who might end up making the Big Ten championship game now. Oh, brutal. Row the boat all the way to Indy. Good, <laughs> good Lord. Yes, find a way, then they'll still end up in the Outback Bowl or whatever it is against Arkansas, even if they run the table this year. Because they lost, I believe, to Bowling Green as 30-point favorites. Unbelievable. How about Liberty? Let's let's wrap up the show. If you're a gambler and you were crazy enough to take Liberty on the money line versus Louisiana Monroe, Kyle, you'd have to lay $3,000 to win $100, and you lost lost your $100 bet because you owe $3,000 to the books. Liberty, huge disappointment this year. That was unbelievable. I was because uh, Liberty had been super good, and every school that or every mid-level school that fired their coach is now ha- or is about to fire their coach is having like moral conundrums over hiring Hugh Freeze. But it, it that one just takes a sink to Liberty's. You know what they've been building for about two or three years is having that one fall fall apart for them. Okay. Unreal. Well, they broke my heart. In that in that Coastal Carolina bowl game, I think I took Coastal pretty heavy. So I say, too bad, Liberty. Keep them because you cost me money back in December. No sympathy <laughs> for those guys in in Virginia. That is a great way to go about it. So uh, to to follow up on something we talked about earlier, Derrick Henry has 260 more rushing yards than the next closest person at this point. He has 783. Nick Chubb has 523. He has 50% more rushing yards than the next closest running back in the NFL, which is just ridiculous. And where did those two guys go to college? The best two teams currently in college football, and they probably will be for a couple years to come, Georgia and Alabama. So that's that. Well, I can go further down the list. Zeke's at Ohio State, Joe Mixon, Oklahoma. Uh, they got a nice range of guys sitting around with top college programs. That's how you how you build, I guess, at least top 10 programs in college football is by draft is by getting all these NFL draft picks on your on your rosters, which uh, I guess those schools do better than most, at least better than other schools with a lot of money like Florida State and LSU and USC. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, these big colleges are hard to turn down. If you're a student athlete, you're seeing all these guys in the pros and that's why there's not a ton of parody, but we still watch, we still bet. And I, uh, will continue to do so as well. What's your pick for the LSU coaching job? Who's going to fill it? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I would imagine you have to take a look at maybe a Saban assistant that seems to maneuver their way to LSU near, you know, a lot of the time. Jimbo Fisher made it very clear, though, that he loves College Station. He's staying there. Oh, um, God, they're not going to hire Bill O'Brien, are they? No, <laughs> they're they not going to do it. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there's some good candidates out there. Look out for Ken Dorsey, who uh, is the Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills quarterback's coach, who is, you know, a lot of people don't remember Ken Dorsey. I think he's a top two or three greatest quarterback in Miami history, but maybe top 15 in college history. The numbers that he put up those two years in Miami are off the charts. Uh, Dorsey's a sharp guy. He's got a lot of NFL experience now working for the Carolina Panthers and now the Buffalo Bills. He's done some great work with, obviously, Cam Newton before Cam Newton became a different guy and now, uh, of course, Josh Allen. So let's take a look at Dorsey. Let's see if he has any interest in the college ranks. I don't know if he's going to get LSU, but – that's someone to uh, keep your eye on here in 2022. 
I know Hurricanes Twitter wants to get him because it looks like Manny Diaz is going to be out of a job within the next few weeks or so. So I know <laughs> Miami wants to bring him home. You know how much I love Manny Diaz. I've been telling you this all year long, Manny Diaz, Manny Diaz. And by the way, Manny Diaz with a great cover last week against the Tar Heels. But uh, Manny Diaz is terrible. That team is awful. And uh, he's gone. He's out the door very soon. Dorsey would be an amazing hire for Miami as far as, as far as knowledge goes. I wonder if he can recruit. That's a different story is – Dorsey doesn't have any college uh, recruiting experience, to my knowledge, but uh, bring him home. Bring him home. Yeah, he doesn't need to recruit a quarterback because Derek King is going to be playing there until 2038. So <laughs> he'll have that fit set in stone, 15 years of a quarterback playing for the University of Miami. And, and all kidding aside about Miami, I think this Van Dyke kid's pretty good. You just got to give him some weapons, and you got to give him an offensive scheme that, that actually may work and a defense that – may protect him as well and not not you know it's just bad a lot of athletes bad football team right now well that's a sour note to end on for the university of miami but there is hope in the future as you try and hire a new coach so razor i appreciate it uh thank you for coming on early today and uh best of luck to you in the coming week all right thank you so much pal best of luck to everybody else let's go walker bueller you better figure this out today for Razor and many L.A. Dodger backers. This will be really funny if they've already lost by the time people are... I gotta admit, it was looking rough for a minute there for our buddy Razor. Nothing he was saying looked like it was coming true. And uh, magically back came the Los Angeles Dodgers with a 95% chance for the Braves to advance. Dodgers storm back in the eighth inning. So, Razor, congratulations. You nailed it, my man. And the Dodgers are beginning his potentially called four-game comeback against the absolutely cursed Atlanta Braves. Thanks for stopping in, everybody, to today's episode. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with some more fun content. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation, so uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, in the meantime, NFL Monday pod is out. NBA preview pod is out. The Tom Brady origin story, we tell that. We tell the oral history of the Chargers, oral history of the Lions. Uh, some stripe hype pods going all the way back. They're still relevant even after the week's download them maybe stop in and listen if not then until next time take it easy we'll talk to you again tomorrow play us out randy newman song's a banger even if i uh not a big fan of the dodgers but it's not an avid hatred like it used to be so play us out